Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 214, Hispanic Heritage Month. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. NASA is committed to diversity, inclusion, and equal opportunity, where employees feel welcome, respected, connected, and engaged. I very much enjoy bringing on guests from a variety of backgrounds, and I like to not only dive deep into incredibly interesting topics, but get a sense of these folks' backgrounds and what it took to land them where they are today. Many times on this podcast, we've highlighted different ethnicities, races, and genders to get their perspective. So with this being National Hispanic Heritage Month here in the U.S., I wanted to bring on a few special guests from the Hispanic community. So I worked with our Hispanic Employee Resource Group here at the Johnson Space Center uh, to get us a couple of guests. So joining us are George Salazar and Anna Guzman. George is a veteran of 38 years at NASA and has a wonderful story of getting to NASA and making a difference after struggling in high school. Anna came to work at NASA 13 years ago with a communications background. She's now using her knowledge and skills to help engage the Spanish-speaking community through communication efforts here at NASA. George and Anna give their perspectives on diversity and inclusion at NASA from the Hispanic community, and it was wonderful to get to chat with them. So let's get right into it. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light shirt for the red. There she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. George and Anna, thanks so much for coming on Houston. We have a podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, very uh, happy to be here. Great to be here, Gary. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm it's gonna. It's. This is gonna be a great conversation. Uh, happy Hispanic Heritage Month to both of you. And um, we have a employee resource group here. Uh, and I reached out to them to get both of your names, and they and they. Uh, chose the both of you uh, to come on the podcast today to to celebrate this month. And I think it's because you each have very unique and interesting um, experiences here at NASA. It shows it shows just the breadth uh, of of diversity that goes on here. and I, and that's the conversation that I really wanted to get into today is understanding uh, both of your contributions to the agency and really have an open conversation uh, about celebrating culture in the workplace, diversity, inclusion. This is going to be great. I'm very excited. Um, I want to start though by understanding a little bit more about each of you and uh, your work so far we'll, we'll, we'll take it all the way back to um, you know your individual biographies and and other contributions to the agency but George help kick us off um, by helping us understand exactly what you do now what is your role at NASA and uh, and, and what are you doing I am the currently the human computer interface technical discipline lead uh, for the Johnson Space Center so in that capacity, I look at uh, not just the hardware uh, systems that are being designed for flight systems, but as well as the functionality of the human interface. Uh, and that includes imagery, displays and controls, lighting, audio, as well as wearable technology. I have to say right now that uh, my two of my key roles uh, are in two major programs. One is the commercial crew program. I'm the SpaceX uh, Displays and Control Subsystem Manager. And uh, just recently, I, I uh, was knighted the uh, human lander system, uh, <laughs> computer, uh, human interface system manager. Wow. Okay. So you are you are the person that is helping to make these uh, interfaces. You, I guess, maybe user friendly is the right term to use for commercial crew vehicles. That's the SpaceX Dragon, the uh, Boeing Starliner, and then the upcoming uh, lunar landers that we're going to be working with. So you're the guy. Uh, that's correct. <laughs> Very cool. So what does that take to uh, to make it, uh, uh, I hope I'm using this term right, is, is user-friendly. What all does that encompass? What is your? What exactly do you do to help to make these interfaces user-friendly? Well, uh, actually, there's a couple of things. One is associated with the reliability of the system, and that encompasses, uh, you know, doing the proper testing to make sure that the hardware as well as software is going to uh, operate properly, you know, especially in the radiation environment that uh, the NASA programs, uh, obviously, that we, we are pursuing, like, for example, Artemis uh, Moon and beyond uh, mm -hmm. is going to encounter. And then secondly is uh, working with our human factors uh, folks uh, in ensuring that the, the usability 
as well as the workload uh, does not cause uh, problems associated with uh, uh, what the term used uh, is uh, human error. So uh, in combination with those two, we try to make it user-friendly, make it reliable, and then secondly, make it, uh, uh, as you say, user-friendly, we call it, uh, make it, uh, make, call it uh, usability and uh, reduction in workload. Interesting. Okay. And that reliability sounds like is a very important factor as well. So awesome. Great description, George. Glad, uh, glad to have you on. Um, I'm going to move over to Anna. Anna, uh, tell us a little bit about your role uh, here at NASA. Yeah, uh, I work as the research integration specialist at the International Space Station's Program Research Office. I work with the communications team uh, in four different areas. I do a bit of web editing in their research and technologies uh, web pages under nasa.gov. I also um, do some writing, uh, summarizing uh, research results publications from payloads that were previously on ISS. Uh, researchers and scientists, um, they publish their results. We get the papers, we summarize them, and we publish them so the public can get a little bit of an overview of what the experiment entailed and what the results were. Uh, I also support the ARIS ham radio uh, payload. Um, this is more of a like a STEM engagement uh, effort where um, amateur uh, radio operators set up uh, events where kids and, and students all over the world can communicate with the astronauts via ham radio. Uh, so it's very exciting to see um, the kids' faces. It's very inspiring. Um, the kids absolutely love talking to the astronauts. And finally, I also support the Spanish engagement efforts on behalf of Johnson Space Center. Uh, we translate uh, many articles uh, and videos that already come out in English, and we publish it in ciencia.nasa.gov and we are also on different social media platforms um, so we can educate and inform the hispanic community of what's going on with the space station all very important work anna um so it sounds like it's all facing outwards right all everything you're doing is is taking all the great work that we're doing and then turning it into a story so that the general public can understand in one way or another, whether it's through radio, whether it's in the Spanish language, the English language, uh, and, and of course, these a lot of the research. I work with the research office as well. I've transitioned a little bit away from it uh, recently, but I but I do like those people a lot. They, they are fantastic folks to work with. And what one thing that I think is absolutely um, fascinating is just how much uh, that there is. And, and it sounds like that's a, probably a big part of your role is, um, I don't think folks probably understand, is just the quantity of experiments that are on station and how often yes. these research uh, stories are coming out. And I'm sure that's a big workload for you. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> we do not have a dull day in our office. There's always something going on. Um, there's different teams within communications over there. Um, there's a group of people that also are communicating what is about to be on board space station. You know, what's about to launch for instance, this Saturday, uh, on SpaceX, all the science that is launching, um, they're in charge of informing the media, um, wow. you know, what's going on, what experiments are going to be there. Um, and yeah, it's it's beginning to end all the way from the time of um, that the researchers bring their experiments to NASA all the way to the end. We follow up with them uh, when the results are finally published. Uh, we continue communicating with them to make sure uh, if they were happy with the process, what worked, what didn't. Um, what they enjoyed. Uh, and of course, we always want them to come back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it seems like this, it's in high demand, right? There's a lot going on. Uh, and and uh, I know you guys put a lot of hard work into sharing all that research that's going up on different cargo vehicles because that's it takes up a lot of space on those vehicles, and, and which is fantastic. There's, that means that it's, it's in high demand. Um, so that's For great. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
both of you contributing fantastic stuff to the agency. Um, this for Hispanic Heritage Month, though, I, I want to dive deeper into your biographies. I think each of you have very interesting stories to tell into how you got to NASA and other stuff that you've been doing. George, I'm going to pass it over to you. Tell us about uh, your early childhood and growing up uh, uh, and eventually th just getting us to the path that eventually led you to NASA. <laughs> Well, um, hopefully there's enough time. <laughs> I, I have to say that <laughs> I have to say that uh, you know sometimes I tell students that uh, for some folks uh, going from uh, point A to point B is a straight line. For me, it was jaggedy, uh, mm. as the name goes. I'm originally again from Corpus Christi, which is uh, for those folks that are not familiar with uh, where Corpus Christi is at, it's about 180 miles south of uh, Houston. I am uh, the product of the barrios of uh, Corpus Christi. Um, my grandparents uh, had no education. Uh, my parents, uh, my dad had a fourth grade education. My mom had a second grade education. In fact, she was an orphan uh, at the age of 10. Uh, but I have to say that uh, between my grandparents and my parents, they instilled a very uh, strong work ethic and responsibility uh, uh, growing up uh, in, in the in the barrio. I have to say that also, uh, not too far from where I grew up, uh, it was actually called the shotgun house, which was not a very big house, uh, roughly about 12 feet wide by 30 feet deep. Uh, the uh, place that I used to visit quite frequently with my friends was a junkyard. And that junkyard was a haven uh, in learning in terms of uh, what was out there. We, you know, we, we, we mm. built a treehouse. Uh, uh, I learned how a toaster or tried to learn how the toaster work. I got uh, uh, shocked in the process. But uh, I, needless to say, it was a it was a learning opportunity for me. I, um, you know, I was very inquisitive uh, at a very young age. Uh, I, I also made my own at the time that I was growing up. There was no such there was no such thing as uh, superheroes. So I actually took toy uh, soldiers uh, and uh, using a little bit of bubble gum and uh, glue, glue as well as paint. And I made my own superheroes, uh, Batman, Superman, uh, Wonder Woman. Okay, so one of the soldiers uh, became a woman. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was one of those strange things. But needless to say, I learned a lot about, you know, doing hands-on. I as well as uh, I built my own models uh, starting the age of five. So I was very, oh, very inquisitive. I always enjoyed that. I have to say that um, uh, as well as growing up, that uh, I, the work ethic, there was no such thing as uh, this, uh, what they call allowance. And so uh, mm -hmm. I had my uncle build a shoe shine box, and uh, I used to go shoe shining uh, back when, uh, gentlemen wore shoes a lot, and, and uh, they don't do that much often now. I, uh, you know, made a few bucks out of that so, uh, to uh, uh, to help me uh, buy uh, magazines, to help me buy materials for making my superheroes and, and my models. Uh, at the age of 10, my dad uh, was able to buy a donut shop, and again, because of the uh, the the uh, the belief that uh, there's no such thing as uh, as allowance. He put me to work, and uh, at the age of ten, actually, he taught me how to make donuts. And it actually, was very beneficial because I knew the business pretty well. At the age of fifteen, he suffered a heart attack, and so I had to take mm -hmm. over the business uh, while going to school. And it was uh, it was so, uh, a little bit challenging. Uh, needless to say, uh, uh, my my schooling was not all that fantastic. I graduated uh, 475 out of 605 out of my graduating class. Uh, and uh, actually my counselor had recommended that I pursue uh, becoming an auto mechanic uh, at that mm. time. And uh, about a year later, uh, the uh, hurricane uh, Celia devastated Corpus and we moved to Houston. Uh, in Houston, I worked various jobs. I um, I did uh, construction with my uncle, <laughs> sold book doors, uh, books door, door to door, uh, went back to actually making donuts at uh, Shipley's Donuts here in Houston, uh, mm -hmm. worked at Kmart in, uh, in building materials, and I wanted to make a change. I, I saw that this was not going to be a future for me, and so I tried going uh, different routes. One was uh, looking at uh, being an electronics technician, so I applied at Xerox. Uh, for electronics technician, and uh, at that time, the digital electronics was pretty hot. So when I took the test, I looked at it without even knowing uh, what I was going to get into. It it was just uh, it was just foreign to me. Digital logic 
uh, was something that I had no clue about. Needless to say, I failed that test and then I tried IBM. IBM, I did quite well actually in the mechanical part, uh, but did not do very well in the electrical part uh, because their systems were rather complicated. I tried doing um, a uh, what they call technical college uh, radio and TV, and it, it just was not for me. At, about that time, I got married and uh, laid low, so to speak, for for about a year. But then wanted to return to school, and realizing that I had to take an SAT to uh, try to get to uh, college, I uh, I did and uh, failed miserably. But I didn't <laughs> let that stop me. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> actually um, found out that a uh, you know, trying to go to a junior college was uh, maybe an uh, another option, and so I I I, I applied at a uh, junior college, uh, uh, which at that time was called North Harris County uh, Community College, and they took me on a probation basis because of my high school records, and they said you have to make an A or better in these uh, twelve hours or four classes, and so I did. I actually uh, I, I I excelled there. Within two years, I got my degree in electronics technology and then transferred over to the University of Houston, where I first majored in, in technology, but I wasn't happy with the uh, uh, what I was learning. And so I came across a uh, group that uh, actually said, uh, you know, we you know, we can kind of help you navigate around the school. That was another challenge I had going from a school of uh, 4000 to a school of 33000 was rather a uh, little bit <laughs> overwhelming for me. But uh, this, uh, the group uh, helped me uh, navigate and also said, hey, George, you want a challenge? Why don't you switch over to engineering? And so I did. And, you know, the funny thing is, was a little bit uh, scary, was that I had heard people were going from engineering to technology. And here I was going from technology to engineering. I was saying to myself, what am I getting into? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I got myself into a whole bunch of uh, challenges, uh, needless to say. But uh, I have to say, with a little bit of uh, perseverance and determinism, I, I was able to make it. Now, during the time that I was going to school, I, I got a part-time job as a radio technician at Cabin Calculator, a, a repair technician, rather, at Cabin Calculator. And uh, I also had an opportunity to apply at NASA. This was my first opportunity to come work at NASA as a uh, pathway intern. At that time, they used to call it, uh, uh, I think it was called uh, the um, uh, Cooperative Education Program. Well, mm -hmm. my GPA wasn't high enough. So uh, I kept applying, and there was a company called Geosource, which was Cycling Exploration, uh, took me on as an electronics technician. So fast forward, when I was getting ready to uh, graduate, NASA came to uh, to uh, to the university, and the only reason they came was because there were two cooperative education students that declined offers, and so they opened it up to the street. So hmm. there was one opportunity for me to, uh, uh, rather, there was one opportunity here at uh, uh, NASA in Houston uh, to apply, and I think there was another one on the East Coast. So I was applying, and, and there were folks that I knew had a higher GPA than I did. My, my GPA was not all that fantastic. But uh, Mr. Brown, who was the uh, uh, crew and thermal systems uh, branch chief, uh, liked the fact that I had work experience. And he said, your GPA is okay, but uh, we really like your uh, work experience. So I had an opportunity to, to uh, do my second interview at the tracking and communications division at the NASA Jackson Space Center uh, with a gentleman um, division chief, uh, Mr. Ralph Sawyer. And uh, for, for whatever reason, he wanted me to come work for him. And I told him I had some other offers. I, I have to say I was married at the time. I had a child. I was hungry for money. And so <laughs> I was kind of looking for the highest bidder. <laughs> right. but, Ralph, but Ralph Sawyer uh, insisted that, uh, you know, he wanted you know, me to come work at NASA. And so he came and he actually had the uh, human resource lead uh, come and talk to me. And in the end, I was convinced to come work in NASA, and I'm glad I did because uh, it, it's been an incredible experience. So basically, that is my story, so to speak, of how I got to NASA. Again, not a straight line, but I'm glad I'm here. Unbelievable. George, I love your story so much. And you've been here a while, right? Like uh, 38 years, I think it is? Yes, sir. 
All right. That is fantastic. The, what I appreciate most about your story, George, is the hustle. Um, there was there was no point, it seems, since from when you were 10 uh, that you ever stopped. Uh, you were just go, go, go. Um, and, and I think what I like most about your story is, is in addition to the hustle, is that if you weren't happy, you worked even harder, it, sound, it seems like, to, to push yourself. Um, so... You, you you talked about from an early age that that a strong worth at work ethic was instilled in you, but you know th- that seemed to never die out. Uh, no matter what the struggle, no matter the obstacle, it seemed like you always kept pushing forward. What was always in the back of your mind that that helped you to do that? Well, I have to say that uh, a couple of things. One of the things that I always thought about was the you know where I came from. Uh, you know, it's somewhat of a a way of building a foundation of uh, of uh, moving forward. You know, sometimes uh, uh, the the saying goes that uh, you know you you uh, advance forward uh, by being on the shoulders of uh, of uh, giants. And I have to say that the giants for me were were was was my family. You know, the, mm-hmm. and where they came from. And and I wanted to improve that uh, in the back of my mind. That is incredible. George, I love your story so much. And I, I want to hear from you, too, because I think your story is, is a little bit different. Um, so, so tell tell us about uh, your story, how you ended up at NASA. Well, believe it or not, my road to NASA started before I was even born, and I didn't realize it until <laughs> I finally got to NASA. Wow. <clears throat> uh, my parents immigrated uh, from Cuba in 1968 uh, to Miami, Florida. And right when they arrived, was it was during the ramp up of Apollo, and they were able to, you know, see it on TV and and be involved in the excitement of us landing on the moon. And ever since then, my parents have always been big um, fans of NASA and and learning about space and and you know advancing technology and whatnot. So by the time I was born, uh, you know, they they had already uh, included that in their new life in in the U.S. So as I was growing up in Florida, um, we would visit uh, Kennedy Space Center every once in a while, and we would get to see the rockets and the launch pads and all that. Um, But at the time, you know, like everybody else, you think, well, I can't work at NASA, you know, I'm not a scientist or engineer, I'm not a genius. So as a child, I thought, oh, okay, well, I'm good at math and science, but I'm not that smart. So I would just admire the launches. And uh, where I grew up down in Homestead, Florida, which is about 40 40 miles south of Miami, um, there was one night that my dad took me out into our neighborhood and Homestead is, I don't know, about a couple hundred miles away from KSC. And at night, we were able to see a shuttle launch. We were able to see the long fire um, come up in in the blackness of the sky. So it, it was amazing to see. Um, but my uh, childhood in some ways is similar to George's. Uh, my parents' uh, education wasn't that far along. My dad had a fourth grade education. My mom had an eighth grade education. Uh, and only Spanish was spoken at home. Uh, they did not know English or very little. Um, they were both very good at math and they were able to help me with math homework. Um, but when it came to English and, and, and other subjects, I was blessed uh, to have a godmother um, in the family who had come to the country uh, many years before my parents and her English was really good. Um, so during my grade school years, it was a bit of a struggle, um, you know, to, to get, you know, to get that A or B and, and, and you know, understand the courses. Um, so by the time I was in junior high, though, I, would, I, would, I was able to handle my homework and whatnot. Um, but my parents also, just like George's parents, uh, instilled a good, solid work ethic in me. And uh, quite often, they would emphasize the importance of education. And they would tell me stories of their struggles and challenges in Cuba, um, you know, because they, they, they lived, a lot of people in Cuba live in poverty. Uh, there's not a lot of freedom to, 
you know, pursue, pursue things that you would like in your life. So, you know, they would remind me, we came here so you can have a better life. So that was um, very inspiring and very motivational for me. Um, so, uh, I continued on in school and I ended up, um, going into honors classes, uh, math and science were my strong subjects. Uh, I did go all the way up to pre-cal, um, but that was it. <laughs> that was my yeah. limit. Um, and when I went to college, I started as a business major. Um, but then I started taking accounting courses and I was, I was thinking, okay, this is way too boring. I can't do this. <laughs> Um, so I took a break, um, and I worked some full-time jobs and whatnot. And I finally decided to go back to school. And I remember taking a few courses in high school in TV production and in yearbook. And there was something there, you know, a passion, a joy of working in that. So I went back for my bachelor's and got, uh, a bachelor's in communications with a concentration in TV and video production from, uh, Florida International University down there in Miami. Um, so I started on off on that um, career and I worked in film and video production for quite a while. Uh, and then I, when I moved out here to Houston, life brought me here uh, late 2000. And I started looking around for jobs and I found out that JSC has a television operations department. And I said, well, let me try and apply. And by February 2008, I had come to NASA uh, and I started as a mission video console operator, hmm. uh, which uh, the primary job was to archive video downlink coming down from space shuttle and the space station. Uh, I was in awe. Um, it was never a dull day. Um, and I, I, it's it, to this day, it feels so, um, it, it, it feels like such an accomplishment to be able to be part of a community that makes history happen every single day. Every single day that we are flying in space and doing science, we're, we're making history. And, and it, it, it really feels good to be a part of that. Yeah. I, uh, what I like about both of your stories is uh, it seems like once you got to NASA, like you, you stayed here. And so I'm interested to, to dive into the NASA culture to understand more about that. But Anne, I want to pose that same question that I asked George to you because it was the same thing. It wasn't uh, you didn't have an easy path to NASA by, by any chance. Um, you, you know, it was it was uh, it was work and you had to hustle and you had to push yourself uh, to get to to where you are. So what was that? What was that? thing in the back of your head driving you maybe it was uh that that early adoption of a love for space that that drove you this way uh, but what was it in the back of your mind that, that pushed you to to keep going and pursue what you love um well gary i seem to have the personality that i cannot remain stagnant too long <laughs> i need to be challenged i need to to learn something new and what better place than nasa to do that there is always innovation and there's always advancement in technology there's always something new going on and um, that is definitely a motivational factor and of course i have my dad's uh, voice in the back of my head saying i didn't come to this country for you to do nothing <laughs> <laughs> i want you to advance i want you to progress i want you to do everything you dreamed of so um yeah Definitely. I owe it to my to my parents as well. Wonderful. And, and it seems that it's the same for both of you, right? You both had parents that that uh, that pushed you to because to, they wanted you to succeed. And that's that's absolutely wonderful. George, I'm going to go over to you because um, we left when we left off with your story, you had just started at NASA. And as we mentioned, you had been at NASA for quite some time. Uh, so I want to understand more about, uh, you know, starting from the very beginning, day one, what was some of the stuff that you had a, a, someone that really wanted you to come on board? So I'm interested to see where you started and then what led you to your current position uh, in human computer interface. Oh, OK. Well, uh, so. Um... I first started out in uh, what was called the um, uh, telemetry and audio section uh, 
at, in the track and the communications division, uh, which is now the Avionics Systems Division. So originally it started with the space, uh, space shuttle program. And right off the bat, uh, I have to say that my section chief, uh, uh, Mr. Sanderson, uh, saw, I guess, a lot of maturity in myself and, and, and my ability to, uh, uh, let's say, take on challenges because uh, uh, very <laughs> at the very, I have to say, within six months, I was already challenged with uh, uh, taking on the responsibility of supporting the Space uh, uh, Shuttle Module Auxiliary Data Systems uh, uh, Subsystem Manager. When he left about a year later, I took over that job. But mm -hmm. along the same lines, I was also uh, becoming responsible for a uh, speech recognition of the closed circuit television camera systems on the space shuttle. And I have to, again, I have to uh, uh, give uh, credit to um, my uh, division management that uh, they, they had confidence in me that I could do it. And so I took over that uh, pr uh, project and so uh, I, it was my first project in, in uh, at NASA that, that I was the lead. And here I was, and not only designing uh, part of the system, but also I was the project manager, I was a systems engineer, I was learning by the seat of my pants <laughs> on a day-to-day -day <laughs> basis. Uh, uh, but in, in, in the end, uh, I was very fortunate that the, uh, the, uh, the speech control, uh, what was called voice command system on STS-41, uh, this system was used by Bruce Mellick and Captain uh, Bill Shepard uh, was very successful. And so I, I, I you know, that was kind of like the uh, uh, launching board for a lot of other things that I came about. I, I, uh, I, I became uh, responsible for the X-38 uh, uh, spacecraft vehicle uh, flight computer systems. I, I also uh, was involved with a cockpit avionics upgrade of the space shuttle uh, display systems. Uh, I went on to uh, work space station. I, I went on to uh, uh, work uh, at that time, the Constellation program, and, it, and I guess it eventually uh, leading me to where I am right now. So uh, over the years, I, I became very proficient in uh, uh, hardware software system design for flight systems, uh, certification of flight systems, uh, and uh, just recently in the last 10 years became uh, somewhat uh, learning on, on my own about the human element of uh, system development. I, um, I was not only involved with uh, establishing the actually the Hispanic uh, Employee Resource Group and getting that established uh, officially at the NASA Johnson Space Center, but also I was uh, the developer or rather the uh, uh, co-chair, if you will, founding father of the uh, Employee Resource Group uh, Human Systems Integration, which is the only uh, technical employee resource group at the NASA Johnson Space Center. But I saw the importance of the uh, of the human element in developing systems and not just uh, thinking about hardware and software. Oh, I am very interested to talk about that, uh, George. The, the the inception of of employee resource groups and, and the logic behind that. I want to I want to first start with your with your progression, though. It seems like, if I understand it correctly, um, your your career progression is taking on new challenges and constantly learning, learning, learning. And you even mentioned even even now uh, later in your career, you're still you're still learning. I wonder, um, you know, what what helped you to to keep doing that to, to learn new things rather than just sort of sit in the same place and become a, a resident expert but in the same vein I want to add on to that question is do you find yourself in a position now where you have people coming to you because you have so much diverse expertise uh, that maybe they come to you for advice <laughs> yes they do <laughs> awesome awesome <laughs> Yeah, go ahead, please, please expand. Oh, I was just going to say, in terms of uh, uh, knowledge, uh, I have to say, I think I heard Anna talk about uh, not saying stagnant, and I'm the same way. <clears throat> I yeah. uh, tell students, I tell students because I do quite a bit of outreach with students, is that if I haven't learned something new in one day, uh, I, I I wasted my time. There's so much to learn and so little time, and so every minute to me means a lot in terms of uh, uh, gaining knowledge and. An understanding of things that uh, I still need to learn. 
And how about uh, and how about you as a do, do you find yourself in a, a mentor role every once in a while where b- because of your diverse experience, uh, you know, all, all that hard work that you put in towards, you know, pushing yourself and even even not having a hard G, uh, a high GPA. Um, but but you just kept pushing and pushing. And now people are coming to you for your expertise. How does that feel? I, 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 I mean, I'm, 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 I feel very fortunate. I mean, I feel very um, humble uh, about it. I, I never thought I was ever end up in this situation, you know, coming back from the, you know, I guess going back and thinking about, you know, coming from the bodies of corpus mm-hmm. uh, to where I'm right now. But I have to say that uh, now in my later years, uh, um, being a mentor to students is very important to me. I, I've been doing mentorships uh, for now for for many years, outreach to students. Uh, along the way, I've uh, earned a couple of awards, uh, a couple of uh, actually a couple of awards that I'm, I'm very proud of. One being the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award for Great Minds in STEMs, as well as the John F. Kennedy uh, Astronautics uh, Award for uh, being a, an ambassador for NASA. So uh, I'm I'm very proud of uh, what I've achieved. Uh, and, and more so that I'm helping students. That's that's the bottom line for me. Passing on the the, the expertise and, and uh, pushing them to do what you did, which was to push yourself, and, and hopefully they do the same. That's wonderful stuff, George. Um, Anna, I want to know about your career. It started off very interesting. You're getting these amazing views from space. That's the first thing that you get to experience, and I wonder how it progressed from there. Well, first, Gary, I got to say, George is a tough act to follow. (laughs) (laughs) What an amazing career. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, Yeah. um, When I started in 2008 um, and I could just stare at the screens and see Earth spinning below, um, I was a big fan of geography when I was in school. So, you know, when I was working the night shift and bored out of my mind, I would just stare at the at the views of Earth and kind of guess where on Earth that was type of thing. But uh, yeah, um, NASA has been a, a, a good experience and a good working place for advancement. Uh, I was fortunate that within my department, I had a supervisor and a manager that were good at seeing employees that were eager to learn more, to do more. And, and I, I was promoted, um, you know, every year, year and a half, I would get promoted and it would be great. You know, I started as a console operator and then I ended up being a Johnson TV operator, which is the, the equivalent to a, a control room operator in a hmm. news station. Um, I would get route, I would get signals, video signals from Russia, um, other NASA centers, and I would send video signals out to other agencies. Um, and the, the downlink signals I would send over there to your counterparts over there, um, Gary and building two, um, mm-hmm. at PAO so they can do their live television broadcasts. Um, and then later on I got promoted to lead and production coordinator over the video production side of the house uh, in the operations department. And that was a lot of fun because I got to interact with uh, people at at the public affairs office, but also we started collaborating more with outside media outlets and filmmakers. Um, We Hmm. did a live show with Nat Geo once uh, where they came on board the space station and they they did a live Q and A with the space station. Um, we also, um, have done, uh, projects with discovery channel and, um, time magazine. It just continues to go on. Once one does it, everybody's interested. And of course, you know, we all want for the, the story of space station and for NASA to be out there. So we were more than eager to help out and getting the story out. So, um, I uh, organized uh, the projects within NASA um, to get footage out to these entities. Uh, I also worked um, with people within NASA, like in the engineering department and the human uh, health and performance department to produce videos for them, whether it, whether it be for training uh, to train their own employees or uh, simply for um public facing purposes or something that would be going out on NASA TV or social media to inform the public of different projects they were working on. 
Um, later on, I did work uh, within what was once uh, known as the education office is now known as STEM engagement office. Mm-hmm. Uh, we worked with minority students uh, doing outreach, um, going to different conferences where these minority students, uh, college graduates would visit the NASA booth, excited and starry eyed, wondering how do I get to NASA? How do I get an internship to NASA? Um, so it was very inspiring and exciting to see that eagerness and the the the, the excitement behind um, those students' eyes of wanting to be a part of this and and in talking to them and and giving them pointers and and letting them know how how to kind of maneuver their way around the career or starting their career or getting into NASA. Um, and then now with the uh, program research office, um, now I have the opportunity to help NASA uh, with Spanish engagement with the general public um, to because, for instance, you know, immigrants that are coming over now, it's a similar situation to I, what I was in, you know, their parents mm-hmm. only know Spanish um, and the kids are just starting to know get to know English. So to have this type of content available to them that they both can share and learn from is a good thing, you know? Um, And what better thing about than space or STEM related subjects to motivate students to learn the language and to learn certain subjects? It's, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think it's a, it's a great thing and I'm very happy to be a part of it. You know, it seems like, Anna, throughout your career, you always uh, played some role in sharing the story, right? But it seems like from you, you started from behind the scenes, and uh, for the, at least the way I interpreted it, and I, and I don't know if this is completely true, so please correct me, is mm-hmm. it seemed like once you started to have that interface with the public one-on-one and see the excitement and understand the, 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 there, were, there was a drive from, from kids that wanted to do what you did. I, don't, I wonder if you saw yeah. something of yourself in them that helped you to keep going because it seemed like from there you started doing more and more projects that were reaching out to the community, involving the Spanish-speaking audience. It seemed like you you ended up in that path, and I wonder if there was there was you were inspired in part by seeing the the end customer, if you will, of some of the public products. Yeah, certainly, and you know, it's paying it forward. You know, I see me in them. You know, I mm-hmm. remember being their age and not knowing or being sure of what I wanted to do in life, and. For them to have somebody that looks like them, you know, tell them, hey, you can do it. You know, you're, you, all you got to do is put your mind to it. You know, you got to dedicate the time to it um, and they can do it. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoy doing that. And I do see that that excitement now on our social media platforms uh, for mm-hmm. NASA and Espanol. There is a lot of engagement there, a lot of comments of interest from uh, the kids and the and the public in general the hispanic market here in in the united states as well um eager uh asking for more information and asking for follow-up oh where did this experiment end up oh we're looking forward to seeing the results so it it is definitely very inspiring uh and satisfying uh, to see that our efforts is Mm. are well received and and it's making change Absolutely. Yeah. And it's all thanks to to your work. Both of you have such fantastic stories uh, coming to NASA and even at NASA, just a a very round experience. And I want to transition from Anna's experience talking with the Spanish community outside of NASA. And I want to and I want to go to inside of NASA. Now, George, you mentioned uh, when in your career uh, that you helped to establish the Hispanic Employee Resource Group. Um, give us an, an understanding of the early culture of, of NASA in your career, uh, um, you know, what, what it was like uh, as a Hispanic person here, and then what inspired you, transitioning from that, to what inspired you to push for, you know what, we need we need a place where the Hispanic community can gather inside of NASA and, and work together um, and, and bring a, that community together. So, so please, uh, starting, starting there, what it was like uh, at NASA for the Hispanic community. Well, back when I first started NASA, uh, there was an organization called the Employee Opportunity uh, 
thing, uh, organization, and uh, mm -hmm. it was headed by a lady that I, I became friends with. At that time, the that was basically where you know what what is now uh, the different ERGs uh, basically was the uh, focal point for coordinating activities, whether Asia or Hispanic or Afro American or what have you. Uh, but then, uh, when there was an opportunity to um, to form employer resource groups, uh, more so for Affinity, that I thought it was a good opportunity to uh, to get involved in, in, in forming the uh, uh, Hispanic Employer Resource Group and make it a little bit more formal process. Uh, I have to say, the employee uh, opportunity uh, organization uh, was somewhat informal. So uh, the Hispanic Employee Resource Group uh, actually made it more formal and, and recognized, and uh, and so uh, it, it, I, I was very pleased and uh, and, and proud to uh, to participate in that. Uh, I have to say that uh, that uh, with the uh, with NASA backing, uh, as I say, NASA Johnson Space Center backing the Employee Resource Groups, uh, we had more clout in terms of participating in outreach activities like. Uh, the Hispanic uh, Houston Hispanic Forum, which brings in over 16,000, students uh, to the George R. Brown Convention Center. This wow. is pre-pandemic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but, but you know, doing uh, a lot of uh, outreach activities, uh, you know, for uh, uh, you know to to try to inspire Hispanics, but primarily to uh, you know to pursue a, a career in STEM. And uh, again, I I. I I use my story. If I can do it, you can do it too. It just takes uh, uh, determination and hard work. You know, don't let the grades, uh, you know, set you back. Uh, mm. I, I tell students that grades don't make the person. It's determination and hard work that does. Uh, and I think I'm an example of that. So <clears throat> the uh, Hispanic Employee Resource Group is a great opportunity uh, for, uh, uh, for, you know, to being uh, a, a uh, an outlet, if you will, of, uh, of providing uh, opportunities to, to to outreach to to uh, disadvantage economic especially economically uh, disadvantaged uh, students mm -hmm. in the Hispanic community wonderful and you, and you also said that you helped with uh, with another employee resource group which is a technical one human systems integration so what which one's that all about <laughs> yeah that was a that was a little one uh, that was uh, hard to uh, to sell initially. Uh -huh. uh, where, uh, at that time, uh, Michael Coates was the uh, the um, uh, the center director, but uh, the word was, uh, "Well, wait a minute! You know, these employee resource groups are associated with affinities, and and this one is more technical." And 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 the reason for that was because uh, I was starting to uh, uh, establish a uh, collaboration, if you will, uh, and rapport with our. our uh, our fellow folks in the, the human habitability uh, uh, directorate uh, in terms of understanding the human element in developing systems. And one of the things that I, I found uh, through some of the work that I was looking at and as well as uh, talking to the folks in the human factors was that uh, there was a lack of understanding about the human element uh, in engineering i can i can vouch for this is that in engineering you know we're taught about building the best hardware the best software systems and you can make them deterministic because you know the person designs uh, to make them operate how they're supposed to uh, but the human is not like that the human is not very deterministic and mm -hmm. and so <clears throat> yeah you're trying to design a system that's deterministic with a system, well, the human that's non-deterministic, and that's where the, 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 the mismatch happens. And that's why you hear about human error, uh, airplane crashes, uh, ship crashes, like uh, not too long ago, uh, the USS McCain colliding with another vehicle, uh, with another uh, vessel and killing five sailors. And it was associated with the human interface uh, and the lack of understanding of how to operate that system, especially in critical events. And so they, all this uh, uh, came to uh, to uh, to a head, so to speak, and said, "This is an opportunity for us to try to instill more of human systems integration into the NASA culture." And so myself and uh, four other people uh, basically uh, formed the HSI ERG, uh, you know, to uh, get the word out and infuse of uh, human systems integration into the uh, NASA development process. And I'm very proud to say that at this point in time, you know, we've uh, we've uh, actually infused uh, human systems integration requirements into like, for example, the uh, 7123 
uh, NPR, NASA Systems Engineering Procedural Document. Uh, we just uh, uh, recently, I was part of the uh, group that wrote uh, the Human Systems Integration Handbook, uh, as well as uh, updating the NASA Systems Engineering Handbook and in, uh, including more of human systems integration into the design and development of systems. So um, I'm, I'm very proud of that, but it's, uh, it, it was not necessarily uh, <laughs> associated with affinity, but rather uh, uh, the technical need uh, for, for NASA to, I, I say, uh, let's call it, uh, to grow and learn and understand more about the human element. Even though NASA's always done uh, human uh, element uh, design uh, since the Mercury program, but it's more to, uh, to further that knowledge. Very interesting, yeah, and and it's it's all part. It seems like about having having these conversations. That said, this is why this is important, uh, and then it seems like this group is getting together and in, injecting themselves into procedures, into handbooks, and that's and that's Im important uh, to make sure that that these that these uh, conversations are had, that these perspectives are are received, um, and so I want to move from there to over to Anna because I wonder, uh, building off of. Uh, uh, George's description of, of of you know building an employee resource group and and even even with this technical workforce uh, getting together and injecting themselves as part of the conversation, your your career progression um, was you know you 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 moved around a lot you were pursuing a lot but I wonder what it was like inside of NASA as a Hispanic person what were you doing to overcome perhaps some biases or challenges to to have difficult conversations to to be a part of the community if if that was necessary and why do you think that's important to make sure that we're having these conversations in, internally i took it as a challenge and proved them wrong yeah <laughs> no, all kidding aside um no, uh, in my industry, uh, in the media industry, and a little bit at NASA, not too much, I, I had challenges more uh, as a result of being a woman than a Hispanic. Interesting. Um, since it's a highly technical uh, environment and it was predominantly male. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, fortunately for me, um, as, as uh, you know, the stereotype, it stands true. Cuban women are very strong-headed, strong-charactered women. Um, so <laughs> I, I tend to brush it off and and prove them wrong. Um, so I I hustled. I learned things as fast as I could, um, and I proved that I could do the job. Um, but in general. Uh, as far as NASA goes, really, it has been a great environment to work in. I, I haven't struggled in that way of things. Uh, in other areas of my career prior to NASA, yes, there have been some challenges. Um, but it's you got to see, you got to understand where the person's coming from and where they're getting their information as to why they said or acted the way they did towards you. Uh, you know, we all live in a bubble, uh, especially now during COVID. Um, we're all mm -hmm. living in our homes. We don't have enough interaction, personal interaction with other people. Um, I mean, like when I moved here in Houston, I've met several people in general outside of NASA that have told me, wow, I have never met a Cuban person before. Huh. You know, so um, huh. that's where where there's, you know, the importance of having diversity in the workplace and, and diversity in other areas of life is to give people the opportunity to have the experience of socializing and communicating and working side to side with someone who looks different than you. Um, it, yeah. It's it, that's the way to do it. You know, we need to approach things with kindness and an open mind. Um, and it's, it's a two way street as well. You know, we have to come into it and say, yeah, I'm different than you, but guess what? I can do the job just as good or maybe even better than you, you know? So awesome. <laughs> that, that, that's how I've approached things. Wonderful. Wonderful. And now George, same, same question to you because, and I, and I'm particularly interested, uh, in, after the employee resources groups that you mentioned were established, because I think part of that is is engaging in a conversation, right? And so I wonder after they were established, if maybe you saw a shift in NASA culture, and, and especially if if it was successful, why it is 
important to continue these conversations um, to raise awareness and, and, and involve more people in the community and, and be one big NASA family? I have to say that uh, I can't say there was a shift, uh, you know, after oh, okay. the uh, Hispanic and Poor Resource Group was established. Uh, I personally, I have to say that NASA has always been uh, uh, very good uh, in, in providing opportunities. I, I have to say that uh, I, I'm very fortunate to be working at NASA, and I tell students that uh, NASA gave me the opportunity, uh, despite my low GPA to, you know, to come here and work. Uh, they provided me the opportunity to take on major challenges. And, and so <clears throat> I have to say from the standpoint of uh, inclusion and diversity, uh, diversity uh, uh, NASA has always been very good to me. I, I also, from the standpoint of, uh, of the employee resource group, I, I still think it's important, you know, to have these groups uh, here, especially for newcomers that perhaps uh, are not familiar with the culture at NASA. I, I have to say that the, the culture is just not uh, necessarily uh, associated with, uh, you know, ethnic and, and all that, but it's the culture of how things are operating from our organizational standpoint. Uh -huh, uh, case, in, yeah. uh, case in point was that uh, when I used to, when I was a modular auxiliary data system subsystem manager, uh, early on, <clears throat> I learned that uh, during some of the uh, program requirements uh, review boards that you you were only allowed to sit at the front table if you were a certain uh, person and, and everybody else sits in the back. And I, I learned that the hard way uh, because I, <laughs> I said, I said, up, I sat up on the desk and they said, uh, uh, I would uh, have done that too. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've made that mistake too. I think we all have. Like, Whoops. That seat is not for me. <laughs> yeah, they tell me, uh, uh, are you? What's your responsibility? Well, I'm, you know, I'm the SSM for the uh, math system. Well, you shouldn't be sitting up here. You're supposed to be sitting in the back. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, you know, there was this, uh, there was right. this uh, 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 separation, if you will, of uh, you know responsibility and your title and all that. Um, but I, I do have to say, from the standpoint, also uh, in terms of. Uh, uh, let's call it the uh, conversation that should continue and diversity inclusion. I, I have to say that, and, and I think I'll, I'll echo Anna uh, mentioned this uh, to some extent, was that, you know, we, we, you know, we have, everybody has a different, uh, everybody brings to the table uh, different strengths and, uh, and capabilities. And uh, I had a uh, branch chief many, many years ago, and, and, you know, I have to say he was probably ahead of his time because he told me that, uh, uh, yeah, of course, he, he was uh, he was from Alabama. He had a southern accent, and he said, "George, <clears throat> if you got six people that all think alike, you got five people that are not needed." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I actually have a, a good example for having these conversations. Um, yeah. When I used to work uh, in building and television television operations during the fall. Um, for about a month, every Thursday, I would tell everybody to bring in, we would have a potluck and we would sign up a sheet for whatever Thursday they wanted to bring in a traditional food from their family or their culture. And I opened it up to everybody. We had people who were Cajun, Mexican. Uh, yeah. There were people with an Irish background an English, German background, Italian background. We had everything in that building. And we would bring the food and we'd come into our, um, the room where I, where I used to manage the facility, we'd lay out all the food and we would start, you know, chatting and eating. And you know how, how food is great for social interaction, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and we would all start talking about our families and traditions during the holidays and mom fighting with the kids because we wanted to stick our hands in the pot first. All those stories we we would share and you would see that there was so much more in common and so many similarities amongst us, even though we were coming from different walks of life. And I think that opening that avenue for conversation and kind of making people feel comfortable and, and ease up and free to speak with each other and share our cultures, I think is a good way uh, for improvement uh, with relations uh, with it, whatever it has to do with ethnicities or races or whatnot. 
Wonderful, wonderful. I want to end on uh, on this note because we we're talking about the the uh, NASA. Um, uh, on the inside, especially opening up these conversations, but both of you, in your own respective ways, have been involved with reaching outside of NASA and, and working with students uh, and, and talk, telling your stories and and, um, and trying to reach out to them in, in various ways. Uh, I want to know from each of you, Anna, we'll start with you, the importance mm-hmm. of engaging the Hispanic community, um, is Spanish-speaking audience and, and students alike who, who may not think that, that they can get to NASA or that they can accomplish their dreams and try to convince them otherwise the the uh the importance of doing so well um i could start with the census results that just came out a few weeks ago uh it stated that the hispanic population grew 23 percent since 2010 to 62 million people uh that is a large chunk of uh american uh residency or citizenship you know our our united states is indeed a melting pot um and that is a good portion of the public that we need to reach out to and inspire um and we're seeing it uh like the the twitter channel uh that we have in uh, nasa and espanol is about to reach 1 million followers uh, we have half a million followers on Instagram and and Facebook. So there is uh, a need there that we are trying um, to reach out to. Um, and like I said before, you know, we're in a time where immigrants are kind of in between. You know, they have families that just immigrated that don't know English well. You have children coming into school that might need help. Um, and something like this um, can help them learn the subjects. It can help them learn the language um, and, you know, be a thriving and successful part of our society here. So um, that that's what I think is important. Uh, and NASA is going to continue, from my understanding, is going to continue growing that uh um, that portion of the communications department uh, from headquarters and amongst all the centers, it keeps growing all of our efforts um, and all the products that we publish. Wonderful. George, same question to you. I know you, you're involved with students and, and you tell them your story. You said, if I can do it, you can do it. The importance of, of continuing that conversation and continuing to inspire the, inspire the next generation. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, Anna brought up the statistics about, you know, the Hispanic growing population. And uh, one of the things that I tell some of the uh, uh, students that I, I, I talk to is that uh, it's great that, you know, we're growing, but there's also a responsibility associated with that in terms of uh, education and uh, keeping America strong. And, and uh, you know, not only technolo- technologically, uh, but, uh, you know, military and, of course, you know, there's uh, obviously pros and cons about the, the military uh, might, if you will. But be that as it may, uh, in order to keep uh, America strong, you know, we, 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 need, we need a very strong technical uh, workforce savvy. So uh, uh, having uh, conversations uh, with students uh, you know, through Hispanic ERG or whatever uh, is important. It's very important to me. I also have to say that I've kind of gone beyond uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I reach out to students, but I've also reached out to students from other countries. So I, uh, you know, I, I remember the line that's uh, in one of the songs uh, John Lennon wrote many years ago uh, called, uh, it was Beautiful Boy, and it says, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. And so, you know, here I am, uh, you know, doing Hispanic outreach, and all of a sudden, I get involved with uh, students from India. Uh, students from uh, Africa, students uh, from Australia, students from South America, students from Mexico. And so I've been doing outreach activities and help and trying to inspire them, you know, to be the best they can. Uh, a lot of them want to come work for NASA. That's a challenge. But I, you know, I, I, I tell them, you know, you can get, you know, you can get to NASA. It just takes a, a little bit more effort than uh, if you're a U.S. citizen. But uh, this is what I enjoy. This is uh, this is what I you know, in my later years here is uh, trying to help students. Uh, I have to say, regardless of, uh, you know, their race, uh, color, whatever, is to, uh, you know, be the best they can be. Mm-hmm. 
so yeah. important, so important from the both of you. Unbelievable. This was this was such a good conversation. Um, thank you to to George and Anna for for coming on and sharing your your stories in detail and and your work at NASA. And then I think ending with these, uh, you know, talking about the conversations being had and and reaching out and inspiring the next generation. I think that's just a wonderful place to end. So so to both of you, thank you for coming on Houston. We have a podcast. I very much appreciate your time. Thanks for giving us the opportunity, Gary. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I had such a great conversation with George and Anna today. They shared their stories, and and we got an inside peek of what it took to get them uh, to NASA and all of their incredible work. So it was such a pleasure to talk to both of them today. I hope you really learned something. We have a lot of uh, Spanish-speaking resources at NASA. A lot of them uh, Anna works on directly. So I want you to check out ciencia.nasa.gov. And we're also on social media, NASA and Espanol accounts. That That's at NASA underscore ES. We are one of many NASA podcasts across the entire agency. You can check us out and the other shows at nasa.gov slash podcasts. We're on the Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show or to ask a question. Just make sure to mention it's for us at Houston. We have a podcast. This episode was recorded on August 26th, 2021. Thanks to Alex Perriman, Pat Ryan, Norm Moran, Belinda Polito, and Valeria Cruz. And of course, thanks again to George Salazar and Anna Guzman for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.